Blue Wire. The Philadelphia 76ers select Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons. Here comes Simmons between the legs. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of The New Slant. As always, I'm your host, Kyle Newback. With me, the world's foremost Boston hater, my buddy, my pal, Seamus Clancy. Seamus, how are you on this fine Thursday evening? I'm fantastic. What's what's better than a victory over the New England area? Yeah, I mean, for Philadelphia fans, this has been... I know the Eagles loss was tough, but to watch Tom Brady eat shit in a playoff game and lose to Ryan Tannehill and then watch the Sixers clinch the season series over the Celtics in mid-January, that's got to be pretty good feeling for a lot of people around the Delaware Valley. On Friday night, my best friend from college was in town, a Milton, Massachusetts native. Wow. So I think he put the Watch how they switch sides. He put the hex on his city by coming back to Philadelphia and then promptly watched. That's what I was saying on Sunday. I was obviously, or Saturday night, I should say. I was, you know, messing with him, texting, blowing up his phone about the Pats. I said, you jinxed them by coming into Philly. And then look what happened today. Yeah, I would just like to say before we get into the basketball stuff that Derrick Henry is an American hero for basically ending Tom Brady's career. What a beast. He makes me want to, to be like 1965 and they're running 300 times a game. <laughs> did you see, speaking of, did you see the tweet where somebody posted his high school stats? Dude, And dude. it's the one game he has like dude. 50 carries for 500 he had something like, yards. He had like 57 carries for 642 yards and six touchdowns or something insane like that. And then one game he had like 40 carries for like 160 yards and everyone was like, the fuck happened to you bro <laughs> yeah so just that derrick henry is my height but he's basically just straight muscle so i imagine trying derrick to, henry playing high school football and you're just fl- trying to you're be tackled on by people bit. like me you're flexing on him a little bit well no i wouldn't say that because i'm probably giving up i don't know what he weighs but it is significantly more than all right i'm gonna look it up real quick <laughs> we're really going off on this derrick henry yeah, this tangent. is fine the, the oh, he's not. Is, he's like big. He's two thirty-eight. Yeah, well, that's like all just diesel. I mean, that's muscle. like a that's like an outside linebacker build, you know. Yeah. Point being, I'm imagining that dude going up against like hundred twenty-pound high school kids and just laughing my ass off the whole time I'm watching that game last weekend. So that was a that was a real treat for everybody. I think. How did he ever get tackled? They must have just had fifty-five guys on him, holding him, or whatever. <laughs> yeah, they, you want to talk about stacking the box? I don't think they even covered anybody. A front eleven. <laughs> anyway, so on to more pressing matters. Tonight is Thursday night. I am just back from Seamus. Were you at the game tonight, or were you at home? I was at home for the game. Okay, so Got a lot I, of stuff going on. I have just got back from the arena. The Sixers beat the Celtics tonight. They were without Joel Embiid, whose injury we will get into a little bit more later. But the important thing is the Sixers are now 3-0 and over Boston. Al Horford had, I don't know if it was his best game of the season in a Sixers uniform, but it was certainly close if it wasn't. Contextually, yes. And I think that it was, it's the sort of game that, I think a lot of people have been waiting for for Horford in these games where they've been without Embiid, where he was the guy that Philadelphia fans and, and 
people who follow the team saw this version of Horford over and over again over the years, and he always seemed to torture the Sixers, and he finally turned the tables on his former team. It's just part of his super-duper long con. He has to let the Sixers get a couple Ws so the suspicion doesn't get cast upon him. <laughs> you still think he's a double agent for Boston? S- sleeper sellout. So one thing that we talked about with Brett Brown after we found out that Joel Embiid was going to miss time was whether they were going to make wholesale schematic changes without Joel around. And I want to read you this quote, Seamus, because... Number one, it's just hilarious Brett Brown type stuff. But number two, it's a circular answer that doesn't really didn't really give me a, a true indication of what they were going to do. So I I asked him. I said, "Are you guys going to change?" Because Joel is obviously a very unique defensive player. Here's what he says: "Quote: I'm putting a blowtorch, a bullet, many bullets into what we used to do. It doesn't fit." And so shame on me to try to make it fit. We don't have Joel Embiid. So that's like, okay, there are going to be some big changes. I love Im- the violence. Immediately after he says this, here's, this is still the same quote. It doesn't mean we have to completely pivot out to wild stuff that could be reckless. I don't think so. I think it's taking the house we've lived in and moving the furniture around a little bit. That's what I intend to do. So in one breath, he went from... I'm lighting things on fire and then shooting them. And then he says, yeah, that stuff that we just lit on fire and shot with a machine gun, we're just going to like move around those pieces a little bit and it's going to be the same. So I'm coming into this game thinking, well, I don't know what they're going to do. Maybe they are just going to play that same. They're going to light an effigy to Franklin on the middle of the court. Yeah. Like maybe they're going to sacrifice a goat and there's going to be a big blood satanist ritual at at half court with using franklin who knows everything was on the table and what i think we saw is something that i think we probably should have been seeing from the beginning of the year which is that they switched into different stuff they gave boston different looks horford was playing up further at times horford did hedge a few times they did show some traps some blitzes against guys in pick and rolls just to give boston something to think about and i know we saw a little bit of that in the early stages of the year, but I think recently they had gotten into this comfort zone, maybe not a comfort zone, like a, an uncomfortable zone where they just kept asking Horford basically to be Joel Embiid and just sit back and stop guys at the rim, and that's not his game. And no. I think switching that tonight was a big reason that he looked a lot closer to Boston now, Horford, than the guy he's looked like so far. Well, I think that move from Brett, it's twofold, where it's the more more practical thing to do given Al's skill set, but was ultimately a necessity against a team like Boston, where they have four guys who can legit score from the perimeter, and they're going to be running pick and rolls all day with those guys with each other. So Al really needed to be on his game defensively tonight. I mean, he's decent at the rim, but he's obviously not one of those elite rim protectors in the league. He's not a Rudy Gobert. He's obviously not Joel Embiid defensively. But what he can do is switch pretty well for a guy his size. Yeah, and I, I think that was all on display tonight. Like his, his strength is that he moves well, he's agile, he's smart, so he's a good help defender. Absolutely. It's not that he's going to go up and, and climb the ladder like a Norvell Pell and just block everything like that that's never been Al Horford's game and I think one of the problems 
defensively lately is that they've expected him to to be that guy and he's gotten burned and sometimes that's it's been him at fault right like it's it's not all scheme and he hasn't helped himself no he sucks at times he's getting used to a new team and the reads and the the plays that he has to make like that's fine that's that's something that happens with new guys but I think they did more to like people talk about leaning into guys' strengths on offense and, hey, they got to run more pick and roll. They got to do this. This, to me, is one of the most important steps they had to take as a team. And I think that one of the big silver linings of Joel being hurt is that they're going to have to do this stuff a lot. Like they don't have a lot of time to say, hey, Al, we're going to like build the defense around you on a normal night because Joel plays 30-something minutes. These nights when there's no Joel and Horford has a bigger role, now they finally have time to, to tinker. Obviously, you'd prefer Embiid not to be injured, but what this, whether it be four weeks, five weeks, however long, Joel is out, I'm assuming, what do you think? We, not until the All-Star break. I feel like that's more like most likely. Yeah, I mean... You know how they handle things. I, I think the 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 mid the middle time frame, which is what most people will stick to, is probably going to be six to eight weeks at least that's what i saw from like reading things they said they're going to reevaluate in one to two I-, I think the the smart thing to do which who knows if they'll do the smart thing here because joel has a very loud and powerful voice in that organization which he shouldn't have but he should it. and but there there needs to be some restraint with him and i think the reason they brought in al horford is specifically to protect joel from stuff like that and look i it sounds weird to give somebody credit for just going and getting the surgery to fix their what's wrong with them. I'm surprised he got it. Yeah, but as we've seen, we saw in the Eagle season, Seamus, Deshaun Jackson d- didn't get a surgery. That's exactly yet. what I thought of. Yeah, it's like he could have gotten a procedure, fought against that, thought he could get back and thought he could get by without getting it. And instead, that really that, that tanked his season. He basically didn't play for the Eagles for almost the entire year. Instead of trying to play through pain and potentially making things worse, I do give Joel credit for listening to the specialists and the advice of people and saying, I'm going to get it 100% right and come back. I think that's something that that will maybe get lost a little bit in all this, but I think is worth noting. Well, what I was originally getting at was that it gives them time to experiment. It gets them time to see what it can look like, again, with Al and Ben as the two anchors of the team against great teams like they're gonna probably there's a chance they have to do this all over again in boston at some point in april or may there's a chance that maybe mb turn the playoffs and maybe they're just minutes that joel happens to be on the sideline that you can really see what you have with the ben and out pairing you could see how it works against specific teams specific situations so i think it gives al the perfect opportunity to kind of break out of the rut he's in uh, it seems like he's getting more and more shit from the fan base. Obviously, a lot of people love, you know, shooting out, tweeting out, fake trades surrounding him. Not that that affects him personally, but there's obviously been some criticism of him as of late, and that's only increasing. But a performance like that, especially given the context of against his old team, Joel's out. He's been struggling. What's he going to do? Is he going to answer? Is he going to falter? And I would say this is his most important game given everything around it, uh, the season with the Christmas Day performance against Milwaukee, a close second. 
Yeah, and I think the the upcoming schedule is going to give them plenty of opportunities to see this group, most likely without Embiid, against some really good competition. They get Dallas on Saturday. They play Indiana again on Monday. They play Brooklyn twice in the next week or so, or let's say a week and a half or so. Then they play Toronto. Then they have a, a home ABC Saturday night game against the Lakers. Like they have a lot of games coming up where they're going to play teams that are playoff caliber, really tough teams and, and teams that are good in different ways too. Like Indiana is a, a big team that, that punked them the last time they played. I'm, I'm interested in that one. Dallas is going to be without Porzingis, but they can spread you out and, and play in a lot of different ways. Luca will be back for that one. So that's obviously a completely different animal than the last time Sixers played them. Brooklyn always gives them trouble. And I think the one that everybody's going to be excited for, obviously, is the Lakers game. Because seeing what this group, with or without Embiid, looks like against LeBron and Anthony Davis, that's that's always going to be circled on the calendar. It's wild to have a Saturday game. Like the Saturday primetime. I love these Saturday primetime games. Oh, man. Like the build up to that all day where that's like the the event and they're on ABC and it's this huge, huge national Football's winding down and not a thing. Do you know what I mean? It's like one of those that plays a part of it too. Yeah, exactly. It's, you know, it's. It's a it's an exciting game up ahead on the schedule. So before we before we look too far ahead, I want to focus in on something we've seen the Sixers do schematically lately, which is using Ben Simmons more as a screener and putting the ball in the hands of Josh Richardson. And I was skeptical of not necessarily Ben as a screener, more so of Josh as a guy who's going to be the lead-ish ball handler on a a very good team. There were limitations with that in Miami that we saw. But Seamus, I think most people, including yourself, would probably say that this is a look that it looks really promising for this team and and seems to be getting the most out of both guys, which I think is the important thing here. So we obviously like Ben. We're not, we don't hate Ben or anything like that, but I think we both know that Ben reaches his potential or the best possible fitter role on this team is as Draymond Green with the super soldier serum. And that's what he is when he works <laughs> as a screener. He's doing that elite stuff. That's, and look, Josh had seven assists tonight. Ben didn't have as many assists. He wasn't doing as much as the playmaking, but he had an awesome skill that was on point. And you even saw him get a bunch of quick buckets uh, out of the dunker position where I feel like sometimes he stands and it's useless. But in a situation where Richardson's handling the ball more and you're without him beating, it's only Horford as the only other big. Worked out really well for him. And Josh, before this season, I really had no idea what he was capable of with the ball in his hand. I kind of thought of him more as a 3 and D guy just as someone who hasn't watched a ton of Miami over the last couple of years. But imagine if they had a real point guard. To actually run this with Ben. Not just Josh, who's kind of a secondary creator. Or like Trey Burke in those bench lineups where he's yeah. had a chance lately. And I, that does, I'm not trying to disparage Trey. He wasn't good against he, Boston. but He's been doing been... pretty well. given. Every, I don't think he's that good, but he's a third point guard at least. And he's kind of misplaced uh, with the, the wrong role as the number two guy. 
Right. He's been a solid contributor, which is more than I expected out of him coming into the year. More than the Sixers expected, honestly, because he wouldn't have been on a partially guaranteed deal if they were like, wow, this guy is no doubt a, a part of our rotation. So, yeah, I, I think Ben as a screener has been great. I think the the thing that stood out against Boston with Richardson is that, and we've talked about this on the podcast, Seamus, a lot of these opposing centers that we think of as, man, that guy's a, a crap defender that the Sixers should take advantage of that they don't are guys like Ennis Cantor where – He's a stationary target that you should be able to pick him apart and pick and rolls, but the Sixers don't run enough. And it seems as though I don't think that they're certainly not – they're not Utah where they're running pick and roll on every possession. But Brett Brown has had them run more pick and rolls lately to take advantage of guys like Canner. And, I I mean, Richardson was just toying with him at times in open space tonight. He's He took some shots that I'm sure Boston is – kind of happy to concede and and just made some mid-range looks but look you're not always going to get I know that the, they strive on offense for threes and layups and that's always going to be the ideal but the fact that they have him and Tobias Harris that are guys that you can put the ball in their hands and pick and rolls and they can pull up and shoot score and play make a little bit that's it's an invaluable trait that they really have not had on this team very much at all in the last, I don't even know how many years. Certainly during the entire time that that Prep Brown has been the head coach of this team. Yeah, he's like a doll in a way there. As not someone who's the real creator, but he can do stuff in spurts. Yeah, I think he's probably a better, like a bit oh, he's better, better of a shooter. Better scorer, certainly, but yeah. just as like a point forward who can kind of do some great stuff on day. Yeah, and something that I think they're going to really need him to put an emphasis on with Joel out is that he needs to get to the line a lot because they don't have really anybody who gets to the line other than Joel Embiid on a regular basis. So I want to look at, yeah, they got 17 free throws against Boston on Thursday night. 10 of those were Richardson, four for Simmons, three for Horford. That's it. Three guys shot at all their free throws. On Thursday, so Richard, and that's with Richardson having like a big time drawing contact, willing himself to the line against guys like Kemba Walker. So that's something that I'm um, I'm not expecting that to hold up. So I think Tobias is going to have to step up there. I think Ben is going to have to live at the line a little more, which is always a thing that has been a struggle for him. But that's that's something I'm interested in and in seeing how that unfolds with Joel Hurt. Tobias is better than people give him credit for defensively. I know we've said that a couple times in this podcast, but I thought he played really well tonight. His help defense was really good. There are a couple plays tonight that I thought the Sixers were were burned on where yeah. it was maybe Horford took a wrong step or, or Cork Maz got beat and, and Harris made the, the smart rotation to get a hand on a ball or at least force Boston to make a reset. I, I mean, he was pretty... He was bad on offense, but it was not a game where, like, the thing about Tobias when he has bad games, I still never feel like he's taking shots that are like, oh, what an idiot for putting that up. He's still getting to his spots, and it's just a matter of are they going down or not. And I think we've talked about this before, but there's a 
there's a give take with that, right? Like sometimes you almost wish he would take more bad shots because he's one of their only good shot makers. But when he's in a a cold stretch like he is tonight, it's almost better that way where he's not going to to shoot the team out of a game or, or maybe play poorly enough that he's going to allow Boston to to creep back into it when he's in the midst of that cold stretch. I, I never really know where to uh, – to fall with him but yeah he I, I think defensively he's better than a lot of people will give him credit for speaking of defense I don't think we've talked about Ben on defense in that Boston game at all he's all defensive guy there was I think the the play of the game for me on defense was I don't know if you remember he had a I don't remember if it was a pick and roll or a dribble handoff with Norval Pell and Pell was rolling and he hit him with a pass in the hands that Pell just dropped and Simmons essentially blew up a, a two-on-one in transition the other way and not only blew that play up by himself in transition with, like, pure effort, then goes down on the other end and finds Pell for a lob and they get an easy two. And it goes from a potential Boston bucket to you're going right back the other way. And I think that's where he's really separated himself this year is just the sheer effort that he's putting in and that that's always been the biggest hurdle with him it's not like he's ever lacked the physical tools or the basketball intelligence but he is finally committed on a I don't want to say 100% basis because there's certainly still lapses like all guys have but as close to 100% basis as as most guys get at the NBA level I love Norvell's energy tonight they really needed it because Thibault came back and he was uh it was not a good Matisse game. Yeah, we, we usually look at him as the spark that can kind of do that, especially when they're in transition, running, fast break stuff. But Norvell brought it tonight. I don't know if you feel this way, Seamus, but I've always believed you need some guy like even guys, they don't necessarily even have to be good, and I don't think Pell is good yet. I don't know if he'll ever be "quote unquote" good. I'm not high on him or anything. I just thought that but, tonight stood out. But you need guys like that. That no matter what the situation is, what's going on in the game, they're going to go hard and just play their asses off and not really have. It's also the case for playing young guys. It's like they don't really have a sense of. This like, the hey, moment. I don't. I don't care that I'm going to get dunked on. I don't care if we're down by 20 points. Like I'm going to play my game. I'm going to do what I do. I'm going to try to impact the game and I'm going to let it all hang out there. And the Sixers have had a problem with that as a team this season. And so I think that I don't know if that has any role in why Brown has played him. I don't Norval Pell was not high up on the, the discussion list post game tonight. But to me, that's a, a huge reason why I would try to continue going to him here to just just try to get that that youthful enthusiasm that they've been missing at times and and you live with some of the mental errors and and fouling that you're gonna have to deal with because of it yeah i wish they had more young guys with a pulse that you could throw out there obviously that's what they kind of wanted zaire to be when they drafted him two years back and there's a lot of unforeseen situations that have popped up after that but i would love if they were able to have like a big man that can do that with Norvell and then a wing with Matisse and then another guard with Zaire to kind of have your versatility depending on what's going on with the other players in a given night. Norvell kind of reminds me of he's like a bigger or like a longer Rashawn where he can get away with some of the 
the mistakes that Holmes would make with reads on defense because he just has a a better knack for actually blocking shots and and recovering on those plays where there are plays where Rashawn fell asleep and then just didn't have a a chance to to make up for it. I wonder what Holmes would look like on this team now. He certainly has improved. He's been much better in Sacramento this year. I don't know if you've watched them. No, he's been crushing it. He's like the number. He's like the best fantasy player. Yeah, he's been awesome there. Although that team is kind of a a mess a lot of nights, which I guess kind of shows what happens when you have to play guys like that in major roles. But yeah, I mean, a couple of years ago, they weren't really in a position where number one, Brett just didn't want to play somebody he didn't trust on defense. And I understood that, but I th- I find it interesting that he's gone this way now because you would think like Kyle O'Quinn is a better version of what they wanted to get out of Amir Johnson a couple years back. But now that they have Kyle O'Quinn who can play that role and fulfill that, that sort of archetype that they, that Brown leaned toward in those years, he push comes to shove. He's leaned toward Pell. And I thought he was, that was a really good game from him. I think it was like, obviously the block shots are great, but there were a couple drives that Kemba Walker had where he got into the teeth of the defense and I'm just waiting for him to bait, Pell into a, a stupid foul and rather than just jump at the first opportunity I thought Norvell did a, a very good job of, of keeping himself on the ground and just trusting that his length was going to be enough to get it done how old is he he's not as young as you think he is that's what I mean he's like he's like a guy that's like 26 or 27 I think, I think he's 26 I think that's actually right on so yeah it's not like he's some guy fresh out of college that Oh wow! They're going to polish this guy into a, a future star. But in terms of the sort of guy that they need, the sort of personality that they need right now, I think he fits it kind of perfectly. Honestly, yeah, it's a shame he's not you know twenty twenty one or something. Yeah, and maybe that'd be a different conversation. But you know, I like the, ultimately, it's not going to have a huge impact on this team either way because they're going to go as far as Joel and Al take them in the front court but while they're dealing with Joel's absence I think there are worse things to do than than play a guy who who might get better and might be able to play some small emergency role in the playoffs if you ask them to god help us if that happens (laughs) yeah well here's what yeah the the disclaimer there is if Norval Pell appears in a playoff game for them this season something has probably gone either horribly wrong or horribly right. So everybody is probably hoping for the latter. (laughs) Um, Okay. Well, we talked about a lot of the positive so far. So let's now pivot to what we do best, Seamus. And let's talk about negative things. Joel Embiid obviously hurt his hand the other night in the Oklahoma City game. We've been waiting around, waiting around to hear what was wrong with him. Find out tonight after two separate injury press conferences at the the Wells Fargo Center, which was quite an interesting thing to happen. But we were first told that he has a – let me make sure that I am not butchering this and that I read the exact injury that he has. I'll pull it up on my phone so that I'm not – this is great podcasting that I don't have it in front of me as we speak. Okay, he has a torn radial collateral ligament 
in the fourth metacarpal of his left hand. And so originally we're told the Sixers and Joel Embiid are evaluating their options. Obviously, we find out that he's having surgery, will be reevaluated in one to two weeks. Seamus and I have already given him his credit for getting the surgery that he's about to get. But I guess where is your head at with Joel right now, Seamus? Because I know coming into today, you and I had talked a little bit and it was bad vibes all around for the most part that we were both kind of expecting the worst because it has taken as long as it did to reveal what was up. Oh, I knew they were screwed. <laughs> as soon as it di- didn't come out. So when did they play last Tuesday? Uh, Monday, Monday actually. They so had mo- two days off. So Monday night, we're waiting to see if we need to do a podcast based off whether they're going to say something about Joel after the game during media availability. And it became increasingly clear that they weren't, which at that point in time told me if it was nothing, they would have said it's nothing. So it's obviously something. And then with each passing day, my certainty only grew and grew that we were going to see Joel out for until at least after the All-Star break. (laughs) So after Monday night, I did not have that feeling because I don't believe they're capable of getting an MRI done at the arena i might be wrong on that but i think most days most time most arenas do not have that stuff at the arena so it's next day type thing that they get it looked at so my first bad vibe came i'll say tuesday afternoon when we go to practice and there's still no definitive explanation of what's going on same thing on wednesday and it's like okay this is dragging on I get a text from, I don't know if this is too inside baseball. Who cares, I guess. I get a text from PR when we're at the game tonight, before the game, saying, hey, make sure you're at pregame avail five minutes before the normal start time. And I'm like, oh, boy, here we go. If if we're getting prepared for this through text messages, something is definitely going down. So, yeah, that was – it's a bummer because – as much as Joel has not had the season that he's had that he had last year and he's been struggling to fit without Horford and he's there are lots of points of criticism you could look at this year regarding him. He's still the team's best player and he was still doing a good job of navigating staying healthy and and staying in the lineup, which is obviously the biggest challenge for him over basically anything else and now that has vanished in in an instant as it has in the past and we are right back where we always find ourselves Seamus and I I sympathize with the people who just think to themselves like here we go again I I sympathize with Joel certainly who works hard and doesn't deserve that to go through this all the time it's just kind of a bummer all around it sucks man (laughs) <laughs> that says it but uh is there I mean, anything... just nothing left to say like i'm just so sick of everything that happens it always feels like it's this isn't even him being injury prone this is not something to do with his knee or his foot or his back it's like someone ran into his hand came out weird after a rebound whatever you want to say and it was hanging 90 degrees off his hand just so... the most unfortunate situations always like Markel ran into his face, like stuff like that. Yeah, that one was. 
That's more on Markel than Joe, as you could imagine. Surprised you use his full name. Ah, F. Yeah. Mark Fultz. I was going to say the whole name, and then I was like, say Markel. (laughs) Apparently, he's he's playing like a number one pick now, I heard someone wrote. Yeah, somebody wrote that Markel is playing. I'll say this. I'm I'm happy that Markel is like a normal rotation player now instead of a, a, a public fascination essentially he was like the eighth wonder of the world and not in a good way so i'm glad that he's toiling away and on a pretty mediocre orlando team and playing like a normal guy like i I am happy for him in that way but i certainly am not going to be the guy who's writing uh favorable columns about him scoring 11 points a game and that's the last we'll talk about him here on a sixers note is there anything that you would like to see in terms of schematic tweaks or lineup changes with the Sixers while Joel is on the shelf just to uh, see what they have? I know we already talked about the defensive stuff with Horford and the prominence of Richardson, Simmons, pick and rolls, but is there, are there any other extra things on top of that that you feel they really need to take a look at during this time period? Uh, the Sixers have an absurd net rating uh, with lineups of, before tonight, I don't know how much this lineup played, of Trey Burke, Ben Simmons, James Ennis, Matisse Thibel, and Al Horford. I think that's a really solid unit. It might be their best mix of players with, you know, Joel Al, obviously Tobias. I mean, just to give it like a different look if you're in the middle of the game, if you have a few guys, a few starters on the bench. Yeah, and I think that's something that you could potentially see a look like that in the playoffs, even if they decide we're upgrading the Trey Burke spot. Like, let's say that's what Elton Brand says to the group heading into the trade deadline. It still gives you proof of concept and an idea of, okay, if we bring in a better backup ball handler and don't have to ask Josh Richardson to be sort of the full-time backup point guard in the playoffs. That's just something else, another look that they can play out of. And defensively, Burke is not helping them there, but the other four guys that are on the floor can switch a lot of stuff and they can blitz and they can even probably play some, some full court press and trapping and, and mess with teams in that way. So so yeah, I would, I'd like to see that. The one thing that we saw against Boston that that really didn't work at all that I do want to see at some point in the future is Simmons playing the five. I think the problem with that against Boston is that, number one, they're just very good at – they have a lot of guys that can win one-on-one matchups. And so if you build a roster or build a lineup – with Simmons at the five, but you're surrounding him with defensive targets like Trey Burke and Furkan Korkmaz and to a lesser extent, Mike Scott, the Celtics are going to eat you alive. And there are other teams that are going to eat you alive. Now, if they, if Matisse Thibel is healthier and you can get him out there instead of Korkmaz, or if you can swap in Richardson for Burke and, and toy with it in that way, that's when I think you might really be on to something there. I know Ben is certainly not going to be a, a room protector in the way that Al Horford is, but you can play a, a different blitzing style of defense, maybe akin to how we saw Miami play when they had 
uh, Wade and LeBron all those years ago. You just put a bunch of athletes on the floor and and blitz the hell out of teams. That's something I think they should toy with. But I think that's ultimately going to be a, a small novelty more than anything. I was just glad to see it reemerge after not seeing that the rest of the year. Who's your loser of the week? Oh, you're jumping ahead on – on subject, Seamus, we're not. We still got other things to talk about. Oh, Loser sorry. of the week can wait until it's rightful place as the the closer of the podcast. Um, before we get to loser of the week, one last thing. There were some. There were about. It felt like fifteen trade rumors, and I wouldn't even call them rumors. It was more, hey, I'm gonna sit down and write a fake trade post today from a bunch of different outlets this week that they apparently mind melded themselves into believing a D'Angelo Russell for Ben Simmons swap is possible. And a thing that anyone is thinking about except for bloggers for NBC sports Bay area or the true hoop network. I don't understand why anyone thinks that's the thing that would happen. Ben Simmons is a look you and I Seamus talk about Ben Simmons criticisms and, uh, his weaknesses all the time, but he is a considerably better basketball player than D'Angelo Russell because he actually plays defense. And so I, I give that if we were on the loser of the week segment, that trade rumor and discussion that somehow happened this week is the partial loser of the week. Yeah. We're not the world's biggest Ben Simmons fans, but that is an all time disaster trade. Like what if you could, so this is essentially what you're talking about with this trade what if you could trade a guy who's one of the best defenders in the league who still has value on offense when he's bad but can be schemed out of a series for a guy who can be schemed out of a series on offense and is a terrible defender yeah i mean ben simmons literally (laughs) schemed him out of the offense less than 12 months ago I, I said this on Twitter this week. Ben Simmons like put D'Angelo Russell in jail. That was he didn't do absolutely fucking anything as soon as Ben started guarding him in game two. I think I would have to go back and look at the numbers for the series, but I wanna say he shot something in the realm of like thirty six percent from the field. It was ugly and it looked ugly, it was ugly, and it's one of the biggest reasons that they dispatched of Brooklyn despite having to start Greg Monroe in a playoff game in 2019. Anybody who thinks D'Angelo Russell for Simmons is equal value is high off their ass. Yeah, I think uh, D'Angelo is sharing a cell with Nate Duncan at that time. <laughs> oh my God. No, I wouldn't. Look, I still like D'Angelo Russell. I think he's – I understand why people make those kind of fake trades because he D'Angelo Russell fits offensively better than Ben Simmons does with Joel Embiid, who is still their best player. Is he even that good at offense? That's the thing. Is like He's a guy that's good at offense and fits with a lot of people because he can shoot and dribble the ball. But you're also chasing fit at the cost of actual talent, talent and production. Like he's Russell's the sort of guy that puts up a lot of numbers simply because he has the ball a lot. He's a good. I feel like he's a good stats bad team guy. Ultimately, like he'll have he'll be great on the Kings. I don't know if I go that far. Like I think he could be good on a good team. I don't think that he's a a like a primary piece on a great team. And that's ultimately what if you're going to trade somebody like Simmons, or if you were going to trade someone like Embiid in a totally different 
nonsense trade rumor. You're moving them for guys who are going to help you be great, not for guys who are simply going to move the the deck chairs around. Yeah. So that one was just a, that was dumb. And then Kevin O'Connor of the Ringer, I think he reported that the Sixers had inquired about half of the league. I'd have to go and and look at the names. I think they're all names that we've probably discussed on the podcast. Uh, Davis Bertans, uh, Robert Covington. That was a, I guess that's kind of a new one. Glenn Robinson, the third Malik Beasley. I want to say there might've been one more, but the funny one was Covington who I know I'm probably a bigger fan of Covington than you are Seamus, but I'm actually, I just hated them in the Boston series. He's good. Otherwise he's kind of not, he's not the need not the thing that they need right now like if they were to get and we've talked about him before if they got Malik Beasley I think that's the sort of shooter you want to get because Beasley is more of a classic two guard that he can put it on the floor and he can create some offense for himself and and maybe run a pick and roll every once in a while like you're not going to ask him to have a a heavy offensive role but he can shoot the hell out of the ball he's not a complete liability if you are asking him to to attack closeouts and do things like that, which with Covington, that's a huge adventure. Covington's certainly a better defensive player, but Beasley is not bad, and he's just a guy that you're going to have to make sure that he, he buys in. And since he's in search of a new contract this upcoming summer, I, I would think that's not something you have to worry about with Beasley. But yeah, I, think the, I think that's the sort of guy that I would look at over Covington, despite the fact that in a vacuum, I think, Covington is a better player. Yeah, they need guys who can both dribble and sh- catch and shoot, and he doesn't really settle the need for that extra ball handle. Like we can keep saying they need a better version of Trey Burke out there. That's who they should be targeting and acquiring. I think that's why I'm lower on Bertans than some other people. Yes, because... I am too. I thought I was the only one. No, I mean, look, I if he were to continue to shoot a billion percent from three – Obviously, that would be great on this team. I just don't think you can necessarily rely on that. And if he's not shooting well, you have the same problem that you have with Mike Scott right now, where you don't you don't have a guy do? who's going to hold up well defensively. I think Bertans can probably do a little bit more offensively with some creation stuff, but the Sixers are never going to ask him to be like they're not going to stick Bertans out there and say, "Hey, buddy, we want you running pick and rolls with Al Horford." Like that's just not a thing that is going to happen with the personnel group that they have. They're most likely they're going to have him be big JJ or better Mike Scott, and in either one of those cases, it's going to just depend on whether he makes shots. And I don't think you want to cash in your one trade chip because you're basically the price range that he's in contract and value wise on the trade market you're only going to be able to get one of those type of guys and that's not the sort of guy that i think i would be going after if i was running a team yeah um i thought it was weird that people i get that he's shooting what is he shooting like 42 percent or something like that but why do you think that's the biggest thing on the team they're pretty high in three point percentage obviously they don't have guys that are putting up crazy volume and not we've repeatedly said tobias needs to shoot more from three, don't settle for mid-range jumpers or things like that. But clearly, it's not what's separating them from a finals worth to me. Yeah, he's shooting 43.4% from three after shooting 
50% from three last year. So what about the year before that? Year before that, he was at 37.3. And then his rookie year in San Antonio, he was at just under 40%. Okay. So he, he has a track record of being a very good shooter. And this year, he's shooting 43.5% on over eight and a half attempts per game. So this is not he's a getting thing a month. it's like a, a low volume high efficiency thing he i mean he is just shooting the shit out of the ball and that is certainly thing they could use i just wonder if like my my belief is this team needs to be more versatile and not less versatile i've written about this a lot recently we've talked a lot about it on here Seamus, and i don't think he necessarily helps in that regard he's better than mike scott i I will say that and so if that's if it's simply about upgrading on scott bertans represents that i just think they need to do more than that yeah i don't think the cost is worth the upgrade over mike Scott. even though i don't think mike's played well and they do need an upgrade in some form it just wouldn't be the bertans to me yeah okay so now that we have gotten rid of that segment seamus it is time for the mac hollands Loser of the week. I think there are probably a bunch of contenders here if we really think hard about it. But I want to see who your nominee is. Who who would you peg as the loser of the week? Uh, we kind of spooled earlier. The guy who ruined the uh, or started the D'Angelo Russell Ben Simmons rumor. Yeah, I don't even know who where. That... Say, I bet it's like it got picked up by literally some dumbass kid with like a Warriors avatar on twitter and like hashtag you know 2018 champs in his bio that made up the trade (laughs) and then like one of those dumbass like real gm or nba central accounts picked it up and then like (laughs) all right real gm is a little bit different but they're stupid but they're I i meant like they're an aggregator so they picked it up after you know hoops reference or hoop central or one of those types of things my sports update put it out there because that idiot put out the you know fake trade trade machine screenshot and then just snowballed you know what i'm gonna i will blame and then it takes one actual reporter they say they called one of the teams and then one of them they you know, shot it down if for anything to start coming up like that i will blame our colleagues at the light years podcast another blue wire podcast that uh they are awesome on the golden state warriors those guys are trying to will a Ben Simmons trade into existence, <laughs> I think, to the Warriors. So I'm going to blame them 100%. Everyone should go listen to their podcast and make sure that that's actually true. But I'm just going to assume they do have that like we the, blame them. One of the best basketball podcasts. Oh, they're great. That's why it's part of why I enjoy being with this company that we're colleagues with Sam and Andy. But. I just thought of this as we were doing the podcast, Seamus. Loser of the week will not be a basketball loser. It's Bill Belichick for getting Belichicked by one of his former players, Mike Rabel, in the wildcard playoff game, sitting around midfield, taking delay of game after delay Dude, of game. what? I was so just like out of it. Like, what the fuck am I watching? And just watching Bill Belichick curse and scream and get mad as fuck on the sideline. Because that's such a Belichick thing to do, too. He has exploited every possible edge over the years. He's the biggest dick in the world, in the like the football world. 
that whole fucking loser franchise having to cheat to beat the Bengals as soon as they get caught against Cincinnati all of a sudden they surprisingly fall off the face of the earth and suck for the end of the year eat shit Bill Belichick you got exactly what you deserved you are my Mac Hollins loser of the week I could not love it more so on that note as we have sat here and crushed Boston for almost 50 minutes now thank you everybody for tuning in as always, if you haven't, subscribe to the podcast. Give us some five-star reviews. Feel free to ask us questions. Send your complaints elsewhere. We will be back with you soon. See ya.